You're listening to Afraid to Ask, where we ask all the obvious or dumb or stupid questions that you don't want to. My name is AJ, and in this episode, my co-host Amanda and I are talking to AUT Associate Professor Dave Parry and Dr. Farhan Mirza about the Internet of Things. What is the Internet of Things, you might ask? Well, um, imagine connecting your toaster to the Internet, or connecting any household appliance to the Internet for that matter. There's a much better explanation of it in the episode itself, um, and if you didn't know what it was before this, hopefully you'll know now. Later in the episode, we'll be throwing to our man Stan on the streets of AUT, where he'll be asking some of the students there uh, if they know what the Internet of Things is, and if they think it's a good idea, or if they're worried about a robot uprising in which their toasters decide to kill them. If you have a question that you're afraid to ask, feel free to submit it to us. Um, you can do that on Twitter, hashtag AskAUT. On with the show. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? I say who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. What's the deal with airplane peanuts? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? At this point, I'm too afraid to ask. So the Internet of Things is, is very simply connecting any sort of object, any sort of device, to the Internet. Objects such as tables, shoes, um, doors, um, your air conditioning units, uh, even a hairbrush now, are connected to the Internet. And somehow the information that they collect from uh, how they're being used or the information that they can give you improves your quality of life. So I'll give you the example of the hairbrush because I think that's the silliest example I've ever seen. And the hairbrush is uh, being uh, developed by a well-known uh, hair products company. And this is measuring how much and how well you brush your hair. And then it's comparing that to the atmospheric conditions because um, you can't see me, but I don't have a problem with hair brushing. <laughs> and, um, and then suggesting that you're either brushing your hair too much or too little and then recommending which product you should use on your hair. So in order to do that, it needs to talk to the internet, look up the different sorts of shampoos and conditioners, it needs to look at the weather forecast, it maybe needs to look up your altitude and things like that, uh, and then it comes back. And this is all embedded into a single uh, device. And so the Internet of Things is really a very broad concept, looking at how you could make objects smarter by connecting them to the internet and allowing not only people to, to look on the internet, but also machines to actually talk to each other on the internet to try and make your life easier, better, more lucrative for the company or whatever. All right, I get it now. So that was my question, what sort of devices can be connected to this internet of things? And you've just thrown out a, a few quirky suggestions there that I've never even heard of. Like how far can this go? Like what devices won't be connected to this in the future? Any devices can be connected to IoT architecture. So IoT is an acronym for Internet of Things. Um, and basically, initially, the, when the internet was developed, it could only reach out to the servers, and eventually people could plug in their computers into the internet, and then came the tablets, and then came the smartphones. Then protocols and standards have developed as such that even little sensors and microcontrollers um, are able to connect to the internet. So um, the devices could be anything and everything, we're now seeing Internet of Things available in um, even furniture, for example, having concepts of smart beds, smart tables, smart whiteboards. So, for example, um, 
you have um, people who make air conditioning units and even rice cookers have internet connections. Mm. Uh, and the idea is that maybe you can turn on your rice cooker before you go home and it'll, it'll know that you know on Wednesdays you come home a bit early or something like that. But um, there is definitely a risk in that uh, by make, adding this complexity then you add the issues of, of security. So um, if somebody knows when your uh, rice cooker is going on then they know when you're at home. Um, there's also the issue of simply of viruses that, that suddenly you don't really want to be rebooting your toaster because you can't get the toaster to work. Uh, but at the same time, we're, we're, I think the world is really looking for potential applications which would be useful. And, and the way that this technology is, is flooding out at the moment, um, it's a scattergun approach. Let's try everything and let's see what people then start to adopt and actually think is actually useful. Um, and so as researchers, we're interested in that because we'd like to, to study where that's going and also are there any particular applications where, where there's a real sort of um, killer app or something else involved in that. Not all um, concepts of IoT are useful, but it all varies and it depends on what the consumer wants and needs. For instance, if IoT can enable you and me to live at home for an extra five years rather than living at the hospital, I think that's a huge gain because using IoT... If a person's movement and uh, healthcare vital signs can be monitored and they can be clinically led and it can involve a support group without having to leave the home, um, that saves costs and it also increases um, um, life and the, the, the enjoyment and comfort of living at home. So sometimes the IoT um, solutions can actually add a lot of value and we can see that, for example, Korea drivers, they've got Internet of Things enabled devices in their vans and um, their vehicles can be seen from the control room where they are and where they need to pick up parcels and things like that. And it can actually drive costs down and bring in productivity. It enables people to work from uh, work remotely, save time on transport. So end of the day, the market will decide whether the value proposition is valuable for them and whether they're able to gain productivity out of the solutions that are being developed. Um, and, and I think there's always going to be some ridiculous examples uh, and funny products which people might not use. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's cool. How long has this been around for? Because I like to think I'm a pretty internet-savvy young guy, but I've, I've never heard of this. Like, I've heard... I've, I've seen, like... The status was posted via microwave and stuff like that, but I always thought that was a joke. But is that, how, yeah, how long has it been around for? Well, I think really, sort of, it's really been taken off in the last five years or so. Okay. Uh, before that, um, I suppose I would almost see it as the webcam being the first um, True. thing that really sort of introduced this. And um, little little sort of factoid, uh, the first webcam was at the University of Cambridge, uh, and it was pointing at the coffee machine so people knew whether they could go and get a coffee. <laughs> Uh, and so that's very focused on, on task focused. There's been a lot of interest in, in companies jumping on this bandwagon, yeah. as we said. I think the other thing is that um, looking at the, the broader scale, um, this whole concept of smart cities. Um, and so in um, cities obviously facing more and more issues with congestion and pollution and having uh, to deliver services. And uh, the, the city administrators are very interested in how you can use these sort of devices and these sort of approaches to do things like link the traffic system to um, maybe the, the 
the, the public transport system or uh, looking at um, pollution monitoring and looking at why, when you might make decisions about changing road patterns or something like that or um, how do you manage very large people coming numbers of people coming out of rugby match or something like that yeah. so there's those sort of interests um, and as, and often I think the the, the, the way that this goes for that for that large scale is that you'll find you've got somebody sitting in front of some data coming in and eventually they go, well, actually, it'd be really useful if these things talk to each other because then I wouldn't have to do it myself. Hmm. Um, and that's one of the drivers for that area. And does that open the door to actually new jobs of people, data scientists and people actually operating this internet of things and actually taking learnings from that and creating whole new systems and efficiencies is actually new jobs for people to do that in the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, data science is an um, area that is being introduced at universities. Uh, there's specialized courses being offered for data science and Internet of Things um, is really opening up new kinds of jobs in the market where it's a fusion of computer science and electronics and product developers mm. being able to come together and construct these solutions um, which enhance the overall experience of the products. And I think one of, one of the characteristics as well at the moment is that um, just as, I don't know if your phone does this, but my phone now tells me when I need to leave the airport because right. it reads my email and it knows my location and it knows what the traffic's like, so it says, well, you've got to leave in the next 10 minutes or something. Um, and these are fairly trivial examples, but, but they may or may not be useful. And the whole analytics area of and data science and computational challenges of looking at taking and saying, these would be useful things to link together. And then in particular, when is it not working properly? What sort of things can we measure that tells us that something is going wrong that we need to intervene and do something about? Um, and that's quite sophisticated, but I think there's an awful lot of work coming up in that area. Um, and I think that's a very bright future for people who want to work in that area. So are we going to lose jobs out of this as well? Is it going to kill some jobs? Uh, it'll change some jobs. Uh, I mean, I suppose I'm quite cynical. Um, I, I don't think there's ever been an organisation in the history of mankind that's ever wanted less information. So um, <laughs> so I think that, uh, that the, the way I see it often is that you'll be re replacing maybe some people who are using gut feel. To, to make decisions mm -hmm. um, with people who are being supported by some data coming from the environment as well. Clearly some things will change. So if you had a, um, um, many of the Internet of Things original products were declaring when something needed to have it be, be maintained or serviced or something like that. So if your job is going around and, and um, routinely servicing equipment, the number of servicings is probably going to reduce. So that will probably affect those jobs. But at the same time, I think other jobs will come in because these things are more complex, so they need more servicing. Yeah, yeah. So overall, I don't think there'll be a change. Yeah. There's a saying called adapt or die. Human beings, they've always been innovating and they've always been coming up with new models. And we've seen that computing has brought a lot of change in the way we communicate and how we transact. But it has definitely, you know, it hasn't actually reduced jobs or anything like that. Uh, it has changed the market dynamics, it has um, brought prices down and it has created um, jobs in other aspects. So I, I have the same view for IoT. Uh, there's an interesting example I was reading about um, a Japanese company who produced soap and some of the soap boxes had no soap in it. And so what they decided to do is they decided to um, do some R&D to inspect whether or not, you know, um, 
and the, the, the box actually has the soap bar. Right. So they they got the R&D team together and someone designed a scanner which would scan through each soap box coming out of the um, production to see if it contained soap or not. And then there was another team that also worked on it. They simply put a large fan next to the conveyor belt. So if the soap box was empty, it would just blow the box away. So there's always... Um, <laughs> You know, different approaches to things. Sometimes we don't need IoT. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good point. Like, <laughs> like if I know my toast is good on number three, I probably don't need an internet yeah, to, to right. tell me which yeah. one to put it on. So, on the job front, how do you see the future of? Is this going to be replacing a certain tier of of low skilled workers with technology? But there's also on the on the flip side uh, a higher demand for more skilled people in certain areas and where where that trend goes first. I, I think that's a very good point and I think that in many ways that that will be what happens um, I think we can already see what's happened if you look at car mechanics for example so so if you go to get your car for service now there, there's a computer and if they can't deal with the computer they can't service the car um, and that definitely, so that has wiped out maybe the very low-level guys who are um, who are just you know, using spanners and stuff. So I absolutely agree that there will be a, a shift up in terms of um, the amount of training uh, and education that people need to to work. Um, at the same time, the the promise is always that these things take away a lot of the routine and sort of drudge work. And then you go and so you've got sort of time free and you've got resources free to actually do something more interesting. Um, and I think that um, one of the uh, issues with this is that um, it, combining with the things like 3D printing and all these other aspects, that the, the chance for sort of crafts, crafts and craft making stuff is, is, is massively increased now. Um, and so nobody really predicted that. Um, so there are different areas coming through. But undoubtedly, it's very difficult. I mean, there, there, there are people definitely who are secure and happy in their jobs at the moment, and their jobs will be damaged by this. Other people will benefit, but it won't be positive benefit for everybody, I don't think. And I love that you touched on that, because there has been a trend towards, let's say, humans collectively shifting back towards we are delegating jobs to technology and robots. I'm generalising which opens up space and time for us to be more creative and we're going back to the crafts and imagination and innovation and using what using our consciousness to do that while we delegate some of the more simpler things to robots. I mean, that is a, a very interesting trend. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that one of the characteristics of humans is they're extremely lazy. And um, so, <laughs> so we always want to do things in the simplest way. Um, and so, if we can if we can take away the, the the boring bits and just do the interesting bits, then then that's a benefit for everybody. I think. Um, just to play devil's advocate, um, I'm the type of guy who doesn't even use PayWave because I'm worried that someone will steal my FPOS card. Like, what what happens when the internet screws up? What happens when uh, the aforementioned toaster doesn't just burn my toast but burns down the whole house? Like, is that going to happen? Are we are we at a point where we're past that concern? Um, you know what I mean? Like, let's talk about the, the, the potential horror stories of the Internet of Things and how we're... Usually when um, the products are designed and they involve components of technology, uh, products are always designed with, you know, an override function in mind. For instance, if um, the suitcase that is being carried on a conveyor belt at the airport, um, that belt stops working, then there's 
always a solution to that. Someone else can just literally pick up the bags and, and carry them, or you can have um, other machinery. Therefore, you know, whether, whether it's a toaster, which is internet-enabled, or whether it's an air-conditioning machine, which you can turn on mm-hmm. um, away from home, or it's your roller doors to your gar- garage at home, um, all of these technologies presently that do have sensors also have override switches, so you could actually use it as an alternative. The example that you mentioned about PayWave, if you didn't want to use PayWave, you could still swipe your card or insert yeah. your card into the FBOS machine. So that's all. Mm. That, that's I guess, yeah, do, do, is, is the Internet of Things products going to follow um, Asimov's three laws of robotics? Do you guys know about them? Mm. That's, well, I can't remember what they are. They're all about like protecting humans yeah. and not killing humans. Yeah, yeah they do. And I, th- and I think that... that uh, <laughs> That it's um, that 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 we're we acting as guinea pigs is absolutely true. That we we are putting these things in and we really don't know what's going to happen with them. I, I was telling a story to Farhan this morning about uh, the Amazon product. So Amazon make a product which is a speech recognition product. Yeah. Uh, and when it when if you order it, then it comes to your house and it's set up so that you can order Amazon products directly through it. Mm-hmm. So you just say uh, you know give me the, the sort of you know the Bee Gees greatest hits, and it'll get delivered. So of course, if you've got children, they then talk to this thing, and, they, and yeah. so they, they they had this this little girl who was saying, "Oh, I'd like a such and such uh, doll's house, please," and it orders it. And then this was reported on TV in the states, and the TV presenter said this, and then thousands of the viewers were getting this ordered as well because it heard it from from the TV. So so uh, that's that's so there there will certainly be unexpected failures, um, and. I think that one of the jobs of, of uh, researchers is to look into those areas and see if we can sort of predict where that would happen. And, and as Farhan says, put in those safety checks so that you know it's a bit annoying, but it doesn't actually put your house down, as you say. Mm. Mm. And on that note, with safety and security, and where does this lead to, like the possibility of hacking um, security risks and? Yeah, order everyone a dollhouse just through hacking. Instead of yeah, that. security is a challenging area. Normally, innovators firstly look at. Um, you know, creating novel ideas and products which um, don't exist and offer that extra value proposition. And security is a component that often, you know, tags along. Sometimes, um, you know, uh, experiences and testing and product rollout actually teaches us um, lessons. For instance, when Facebook came out and, you know, there was a lot of security issues and how, you know, kids used it and how they were playing Facebook games on Facebook and how it was consuming uh, money and deducting money from credit cards. So all of these challenges and frustrations that actually were, um, you know, as, as they came came on, then, you know, Facebook started solving yeah. these issues. And same thing will happen, like Amazon's a classic example that Dave's just um, spoke about. So obviously this is something that they're going to address. So sometimes it's um, a trial and error approach. But when solutions, when they're dealing with industries such as banking and or health and uh, or security, then obviously it will be up to them to um, kind of work around those. What about if like the internet goes down in your house? Is that going to affect the objects? Of course, it, of course it will. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah, uh, and um, I think that one of the things I mean again, computer scientists are very, very, very pessimistic people, <laughs> and um, and one of the things is that. That looking at jobs, that there is a whole new category of jobs for for people who are interested in this interaction between people and security and technology, because ultimately the biggest risk to any technology in terms of security are the people involved. 
so, you know, do you really change your alarm code? Do you actually know how to um, set up the password for your router and all that sort of stuff? Um, and in fact, um, just to give the horror stories, there have been people who have murdered other people using uh, Wi-Fi enabled um, uh, insulin pumps and things like that. So um, there is a lot of potential here for, for sort of bad, bad actors, but at the same time there's an awful lot of potential for people to, to see these new opportunities, to say, well, how will this actually fit um, the way people live in a way that works? So who's like, who's leading the charge here? Like, is it, is it research, is it company, is it government? Um, there is a lot of consortia which define the standards of uh, sensors, protocols, and how you know objects communicate. For instance, I'll give you an example, like the Bluetooth standard, which is yeah. um, used um, for a device to be able to send data to another device. Um, so these standards are maintained by IEEE, same as the Wi-Fi standards. So these standards are defined internationally uh, by a consortium where they get together and they try to define these standards so the manufacturers can adhere to these standards and they produce compatible products. Similarly, if you look at um, electricity and the products that we plug into the wall, there are some standards that has to be an AC 240 volt and things like that, and it's different in the USA. Um, same thing for the internet standards. So we've got standards for um, domain names, routers, um, standards for protocols for sending, standards for cloud computing, so these standards actually help manufacturers to build compatible products. But, but I think it is being driven by the manufacturers, really. Um, okay. uh, uh, there, there's certainly no, no great organization around the world saying what should happen. Um, and so this, this is a very interesting environment. It's very much like apps on your phone. You know, some of them will be really useful, some will be great, and some will be terrible. Yeah. Um, so so we are, they are just being pushed out in the market, and if people like them, they'll keep on making them, and if people don't, they'll stop. So does this mean that we are becoming even more wasteful with our products? It's like if we replace them every year when we get a, a plus and a six plus and it's even in the eight and the nine and the ten and every version of the toaster needs to be upgraded every year because the network's shifted. Like what does this mean for technology and replacing it and we have to buy more stuff than ever before? Um, well, there's certainly that. And, and at the moment, that the, as, as Farhan was saying about the standards, but the standards are pretty much in flux still, I think it would be fair to say that nobody's really accepted um, a plug-and-play approach so that you just buy anything that fits in. However, at the same time, a lot of these applications are actually designed to reduce waste. So that um, if you look at, for example, the idea of um, a, an Internet of Things connected uh, water heating system, it can know when you're going to come home so it doesn't heat up the water for the, the hot water system until it's uh, it's ready. So you're not wasting all that energy heating up water that just cools down in the middle of the day. Um, a lot of the things in industry have been used to try and look at, um, for example, how uh, trucks are being driven. So that if a truck has, got a, has been driven on very, very rough roads, um, you know, and has, has a difficult environment, then the, the replacement for parts and things is more rapid than if it's just been driven on smooth motorways or something like that. One of the big selling points is that it will reduce costs um, for um, raw materials and things that, that, that we, we want to use, um, and we don't wastefully order them because we don't need them. Um, so, so, for example, if you look at it in, uh, in this environment, I mean, we get the milk delivered and um, we have a, somebody comes around and looks how many milk you've got and, and puts them in. Um, so if you had your IoT fridge, then it would again be able to predict 
when the food is going to sort of spoil so that you're reminded of this before it happens so you don't have to throw away the, the sort of grotty lettuce at the back of the fridge. Um, do you feel like manufacturers may have an invested interest in this and the fact that in a few years we all have to buy a new fridge that's IoT enabled and every device will have to be replaced at some point, which is in their interests? Yeah, there's certainly there's certainly an issue with that. I mean, I think there's all, there's always a conflict between the 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 the, um, um, the manufacturers need to, to sell lots of these things um, uh, against the need for sort of people to keep on on working with them. Um, depending on how you feel about the um, the sort of the way the market works, I can see that then the, then you start to get a um, a market for the classic approach, and, and so people are saying, well, this is this is going to be this is a timeless design, and it'll be still just as good in ten years' time or twenty years' time as it is now. Um, so, um, there's also there's no real reason why you can't build systems that are uh, can be upgraded, um, and I think that there's probably a gap in the market for that at the moment. Um, and many people uh, looking looking at how people view technology, that there's a large number of people who are worried for that exact reason. They don't want to be left with something that it's like your Betamax video recorder or something that's no use for anything anymore. Um, so once it becomes a bit more assured, then presumably we'll go back to the same sort of cycle as we normally do. Um, what is this? What countries uh, is the Internet of Things operating in? Like, is it all over the world, or is it just in a few specific ones? Um, the IoT market is a global one, and mostly the innovation is um, being produced by the manufacturers. Yeah. So countries like China and Korea are very much active in producing IoT um, um, devices and products. Uh, it's also because they were quite ahead of time in terms of the internet adoption and the kind of internet network that Korea had. Um, however, New Zealand also um, has a very good internet connectivity. We've got the fiber project uh, project yeah. implemented in um, you know most of the country. So to be able to use Internet of Things products, um, one of the prerequisites is the availability of the internet. Otherwise, you know, there's um, it becomes redundant. So New Zealand's well placed for, um, you know, adapting uh, IoT products um, into their homes and whatever other useful purposes. And um, one of the interesting things I was talking to a farmer from Dargaville uh, just for Christmas, and he's very interested in. He's 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 also an electrician, and he's set up a Wi-Fi network across his whole farm. And there are there are quite a few manufacturers in, in New Zealand now starting to make products, especially in the in the sensor area. So there's a few sort of uh, startups uh, who are making uh, new sensors. One of the uh, issues with Internet of Things is that. In order to internet-enable products, as, as you say, if people are going to buy them, then it, it can't add a lot to the cost, uh, otherwise people won't buy them. So um, one of the big areas is looking at how you can reduce the cost of sensors, um, and so a lot of sort of quite innovative designs, um, looking at very, very simple approaches rather than complex approaches. Um, and New Zealand's one of the sort of leaders in this area, you know, as, as Rutherford said, we haven't got any money, so we've got to think. Um, and I think that New Zealand's actually quite good at that sort of number eight wire, sort of how can we make this as cheap as possible and still do something. So what is the future of maybe smart farming and horticulture and the rise in, in we're having automated watering systems and smarter dairy farming practices and this whole new industry that's emerging? Absolutely. Well, I think that there's um, there's... Again, it comes back to this idea that, that 
with 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 smarts and sensors, you can probably reduce the amount of resources that you use to produce the same thing. Uh, and of course, that this is ultimately, um, if you if you take it very cynically, you know, a farm is as a way of taking taking water and sunlight and turning it into milk. And so, so with the smart systems, um, it's farming's got a lot of a lot of uh, potential advantages for reducing the amount of nitrates and things you put on the farm because you you specify where the fertilizer is needed and you don't just put it everywhere. Also, things like uh, especially in horticulture, looking at uh, how you manage the products, uh, so the fruit or the vegetables or whatever, uh, because because a lot of our fruit and vegetables is exported then um, you've got that whole chain coming from New Zealand uh, farm to say, the Italian plate or whatever. And so in order to try and uh, prevent things like kiwi fruit from becoming bruised or damaged during transit, then uh, there's quite a few projects looking at how you can use sensors within the transport system to calculate when you should pick the fruit. Uh, and also, given that all the fruit basically appears very close at the same time, how you should order the, the transportation so that you know that this particular batch of fruit is going to go off in a certain time, therefore it gets priority over the next batch, which is going to go off a little bit later. Um, and these things, although they're all fairly sort of small-scale differences, they make a huge difference um, overall. I mean, often you lose about 30% of the value um, during transport. So it, it can make a big difference, especially for a country like New Zealand, which is relatively isolated from the rest of the world. So we have a long transport chains. Um, and we have to respond quickly to, to demands from other countries. Um, certainly the, the whole idea of uh, going back to this idea of being able to prove that your, your meat was growing ethically or your uh, fruit was, you know, didn't damage the environment uh, is becoming more important than consumers around the world. Um, and New Zealand, as Inc., has to sort of compete a little bit against this whole localist food, food movement to say, well, if you say, well, I, I only eat fruit that's within the last, you know, within 20 miles of where I live or whatever, then New Zealand's out of that game. Um, but if we can prove uh, by the use of uh, smart devices that, that this has been grown in a way that's, that's sort of low carbon and uh, protects the environment, then I think that becomes a, a sort of market enhancer for us. I don't know if I'd want to eat beef if I knew where the cow <laughs> grew up. And... <laughs> Hey guys, Stan here. I'm on the streets talking to people about the Internet of Things. So are, are there any things like household appliances or things at home that you'd like to be connected to the Internet? I could do with like a light bulb so that you can just like lie down because my, my light switch is like far away from my bed so I gotta get up. I was thinking about like a toaster. You could just get like the toaster from your room so you wouldn't have to, <laughs> <laughs> to do it for you and then once it's done, oh, yeah, it tells you and then you can go get it. And press the button. Yeah, it's like ready for you. Well, like, so it like jumps into your bed. <laughs> <laughs> With all of that, are you worried about a robot uprising? I think the main thing is like automation taking jobs. So, I mean, there's all these like menial jobs that if you think about it, a computer could do really easily. Part of being a lawyer is you have to read through cases. You can get a computer program to just scan all really? the pages in the book and automatically pull out what you need. There's going to be so many jobs that are going to be taken. What about the jobs into the robots? Wait, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> someone's got to build them, someone's got to build yeah, them, someone's got to clean yeah, them. Only a small percentage go to, say, university. And half of it's just going to be, like, computer programming. Yeah, and stuff like that. It's a good job, then, right? <laughs> yeah. So, guys, how might the governments use IoT for social good?
and implementing better policies and using all this new information to improve. Yeah, well, I think that there's always there's always a, a, a sort of a balance between uh, privacy and um, government's desire to, to do social good by having more information. Uh, but I think it's um, already being shown that by um, using uh, various sensors, often which already exist. So, so for example, if we carry a phone around with us, then the location of the phone is reported pretty accurately to the to the, to the cell tower. And um, so that can then track things like traffic jams, and it can look at the effect of, say, the, the weather uh, on people's transport behaviour. We can look at whether people are um, um, moving around a long distance. Um, so one of the questions that often comes up is this idea of uh, food deserts, so that you have uh, in deprived areas, often there are very few places where people can buy uh, good fresh food, etc. So can we identify those by means of looking at the transport paths of people? Are people um, you know, not going to the, to the, the food market, but instead they're going to get chips or whatever? Um, and also looking at whether we can build the infrastructure that we need in terms of both uh, power infrastructure, roading infrastructure, um, waste disposal, etc. Uh, looking at how we might manage waste, for example. So one of the in- projects that's, that's certainly been considered a number of councils in New Zealand is tracking the weight of your uh, rubbish bin and also analysing the contents of your recycling bin to check that you're recycling things correctly. Uh, and then giving people incentives to, to, to either reduce the waste or um, you know, sending out education about one that you can't put that in the recycling bin. So there's a lot of these projects starting to come in. One of the projects I was working on um, with Ministry of Transport involved handing out GPS devices um, so they're actually surveying 2,000 families at the moment. So a family gets to um, keep these GPS devices for a week and the data collected from the GPS devices is later on coded. So they find out whether or not this family is using public transport, are they traveling on bike or how much they're walking around and it helps them model the transportation um, for the future. Imagine collecting all this data manually um, you know how much effort and how much manpower it would take. So projects like this help um, you know the government model what how they want to spend and how they want to plan um, for the future. Ministry of Health uh, published their strategy and they call for a smart system. Um, aspects of that include sustainability, holistic uh, holism, and family-oriented approach, but also um, an approach towards having you know data driven decisions being able to make informed decisions and being able to detect and plan take preventative measures and by having iot devices you're able to have a more continuous relationship with the patient and practitioner uh, at the moment we only visit the doctor when we need to so it's it's a more of an episodic relation relationship um, whereas having these devices or being able to collect relevant data would be able to um, signal when you know the person needs attention and also allow the healthcare to shift from the hospitals to homes and this also increases um, cost savings and um, you know and things like that so Ministry of Health also encourages um, projects and they're funding it a lot like if you look at the amount of funding Health Research Council MBIE they put 
um, forward for health projects and majority of the funding streams they actually ask for um, what is so smart about this and what kinds of technology contributions these projects have and at AUT we um, we are pushing ourselves to and get involved in these um, in these projects so if what what I usually do in the morning and it's pretty it's pretty simple I get up and you have a shower you know and you have a coffee and you have some cereal and I manually open everything and I manually put everything away and then I walk up the road I get the bus and I go to my job it's technology free I mean how might that routine that's common for a lot of people might look different in a few years well there's, there's quite a few things I mean one of the ideas always with the um, uh, the IOT fridges is that they will uh, they will know what you've got in your fridge therefore when you're running out of something uh, and when it's going to go off so so your your milk or whatever they will say well have warned you the night before that you need to buy some milk um, on the way home rather than when you get in so you don't want to go out again. Um, you also might find the thing that, that um, I, I've always thought was very interesting is looking at, for example, the public transport. So we set off uh, New Zealand being not Germany, um, sometimes it's a little bit ratty what time the bus actually arrives. And um, so we'd like to, I would always like to know, well, at what time do I need to leave in order to arrive at the bus stop at the same time as the bus arrives? Mm. And not only that, a bus that's actually got some room in it. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is something, it's a very, very simple sort of application, but um, putting those sort of things together just means you get a bit more, bit more time in the morning. You also get a bit less stress. Um, so you don't have to take the bus to buses earlier in order to get in time for a particular meeting. You can just turn up the right one. Um, so those are the sort of areas I, I think that might be useful for, for people. Yeah, um, a morning um, could look like where a lot of activities have already started happening without you even knowing about them and you would be naturally you know having your breakfast with some um, technology that's actually helping you um, prepare and manage your fridge and kitchen and whatnot but at the same time let's say the system realizes what bills you have to pay for the day and it's already made the payments or let's say you needed to order something and um, it's already detected what you needed to order and it's already done that for you as well. And it may actually show you on your mobile phone that um, two, um, two houses away, someone's actually going to the city or where you work and you could probably share a ride with them. So taking the Uber concept even further to a crowdsource model. So it could bring in all this sort of sustainability. And at the moment, um, you've you can work remotely and most um, you know employers are okay with that however people uh, haven't actually embraced that into their lifestyle so I guess in the future people will be much more open to that so perhaps you won't be thinking about going to work you'll probably be working from home or you'd be uh, you know saving another couple of hours for your personal um, to do your personal stuff or exercise or whatever you needed to do and the other thing is the work may work environment may change a lot as well because we went from paper to computers and now we're going from computers to mobile devices so it's still got a little bit of a screen but whereas um, human thinking could be much more creative uh, as opposed to them not even thinking about screens and d devices so these are, these are some aspects how IoT may transform the way we wake up and how 
we're going to experience a day. And one interesting thing that I found, uh, especially with health, is there's a lot of apps out there today already. However, they're not very well integrated. So let's let's take an example of someone who goes for a run or goes to the gym. They still have to manually record everything they do, even though let, let's say your running is captured through your Fitbit, but the workouts you do, the yoga or the weightlifting or whatever it is, they're all supposed to be manually entered. Perhaps all these machines are IoT driven and they're all collecting data about your sets and repetitions and so on. And this information is, um, you know, having seeing this information is going to be another motivator for people to have a more healthy lifestyle. And, you know, this this could be some examples on how your experience will be. What's your guys' dream tech to put the Internet of Things on? Is there, like, a specific object that you'd really like to see become Internet-enabled, anything like that? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I've, I've got a particular problem with uh, tins of tomatoes. So um, mm. I, whenever I go to the supermarket, I always buy tins of tomatoes, and so we've got, effectively, the world supply. Uh, and so I would very much like to have um, um, an intelligent cover that was able to tell me what I actually needed to buy uh, at the supermarket rather than uh, vaguely sort of remembering from maybe two or three years ago what I needed to buy. That would be, that would be my, my thing. So, so that when I'm there, it tells me this is what you need. Don't, don't buy that. Great. My two uh, applications would be firstly to something that can um, educate or help with the education for children. Uh, because they're very much motivated to use the technology. Um, however, it's, um, it's, they have to moderate it, or the parents have to moderate how that happens. It would be interesting to see a model which is linked in with the curriculum, the NZQA curriculum, and then this um, thing is um, you know, supporting or helping um, kids learn uh, in a more interactive way, so a new um, form of education. The other thing that I would like to see uh, with IoT products is something that would accompany or um, help, you know, with pets. Um, so what I have at home is um, um, a few parrots, and parrots, you know, are human-loving birds, and you have to spend a lot of time with them. So when I'm out out at work away from them, you know, um, they'll probably be bored and no one to look after them. So it'd be good if um, there was a device that could entertain them or do something, say a few words, it would really help, um, you know, um, tame these birds and actually provide them with the company. That's awesome. Well, yeah. thank you very much for, for joining us, guys. Um, I feel very informed now about the Internet of Things, <laughs> and I look forward to seeing it, um, yeah, and all our objects in the future. So, yeah. thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having uh, Microphone, turn off. Did it work? No. <laughs> <laughs> One day. It's not <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Afraid to Ask. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I hope you have formed an opinion about the Internet of Things. Tell us what household appliance you would like to see connected to the Internet. And you can do that by reaching out to us on Twitter, hashtag AskAUT, where you can also submit any questions you have for maybe future episodes. AUT is also on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all those social media stuff. So check us out um, and please rate and review us on iTunes and tell your friends about this podcast. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You win, Ned. Whistle.
What does Marcellus Wallace look like? What's the deal with Aquaman? What's the matter with me, baby? What's the matter with you? How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? I say who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on first. What's the deal with everything peanuts? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? At this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Why?